you have to imagine that this farm is like a five-star hotel for the cows. I'm on farms uh, a lot and I always like it. Welcome to Transition Talk Outdoors. This is season two, episode one. And we're gonna try something new, Lonneke. It's you and me. We're hosting this podcast from now on. Yes, definitely. So my name is Lonneke Tabak. I lead the Energy Transition Services Group at Accenture. And we're going to change things up a little bit. So last year we always recorded in the studio, but this year we're going to record on location. And this is the first location and how beautiful. And a bit smelly and noisy too. What am I hearing? Are you here, the digester? Um, we are at a location where green gas is made from the cow manure and this is also the sound that you hear, it's from the digester itself and I think later inside we're going to explain exactly how that works, but this, that is what you hear. So we go inside to explore a little bit more, but now we can smell it, we can see it. Where are the cows? Well, the cows are currently still in the barn. Uh, the meadow is still too wet for them to go outside, but even in the summer as well, they can choose themselves where they are. And you have to imagine that this farm is like a five-star hotel for the cows. Um, they have access to a jacuzzi. A jacuzzi, I'm sorry? Yeah, they have access to a jacuzzi. There's a is that the little lake I saw in yes. the beginning? Yeah, yeah, the cows can go in there and uh, the farmer told us that it's really uh, crowded in the jacuzzi. They really, really like it. And they also have air conditioning in the barns, so uh, in the summer when it's really warm, they can go inside where it's nice and cool. So we have happy cows who make green gas. Exactly. We meet interesting people on interesting places where we can have a look into the future with our own eyes, Lonneke. And not just even that, you brought also a guest. Yes, I brought a guest. Who is it? I invited uh, Martijn van Drunen. Martijn and I worked together on the topic of green gas last year. Martijn is program manager green gas at Vattenfall. And of course he can explain uh, best by himself what he does exactly and what the role of Vattenfall in the green gas value chain is. So I suggest we go inside and look for him. Because he came all the way to Friesland too? Yes, he did. Let's go to the kitchen. All right. So we got some coffee, everybody happy here. We're in the kitchen of the farm now. Lonneke, we're not alone anymore. No, we're not alone anymore. Who are you? I'm uh, Martijn van Drunen of Vattenfall. Welcome. Thank you. What are you doing at Vattenfall? I am program manager green gas and my role is to make sure that we acquire enough green gas for ourselves and our customers to decarbonize our business and to become fossil free within one generation. What do you think being on this farm? I love it. I'm on farms uh, a lot and I always like it. Because you see more than cows alone, you see green gas. Yeah, I see a lot of potential to, uh, for a greener future. We saw the digester. Can you tell us what happens inside? Yeah, so basically what happens on this farm is uh, this farm has 300 cows and the manure of the cows is uh, removed from the barn floor every hour to get really fresh manure uh, in which there's still a lot of methane and um, the the manure is then collected into like a big silo which is completely closed without oxygen there's bacteria in there and basically the bacteria uh, break down the manure and they distract so to say the uh, methane from the manure and the methane effectively can be turned into uh, gas that is the same quality and the same chemical composition 
as the gas that we have in our gas grid. No difference. No difference. So basically this farm injects 40 cubic meters of gas into the gas grid every hour. And on a yearly basis, that adds up to, let's say, 300 to 330 cubic meters per year. And what does it mean? Is that a lot? Or? Well, an average family uses just over 1,000 cubic meters per year for showering and, and cooking and so on. So this farm alone could uh, fuel, let's say, uh, 300 families uh, with, uh, uh, with the manure from this farm and two other farms in the, in the direct uh, vicinity. Why is it necessary to produce this green gas? Yeah, so in the Netherlands it was agreed uh, in the climate agreement of 2019 to reduce uh, CO2 emissions in the Netherlands by 95% in 2050 in comparison to 1990. And part of the solution to achieve that is to phase out the use of fossil gas. Currently around 90% of homes still heat uh, with, uh, with fossil gas, uh, emitting a lot of CO2. And there's basically three alternatives to fossil gas. It's uh, heat pumps, district heating, and green gas. And to uh, stimulate production of green gas in the Netherlands, there is a blend-in obligation announced by the government, which basically means that uh, energy suppliers have to blend in a certain percentage of green gas in the future. So 20% of all gas that's being sold to households in uh, 2030 needs to be green gas. And it's foreseen that green gas will uh, be used mainly in historical cities where no heat pumps can be placed or district heating networks can be installed. And also in the uh, rural areas with badly insulated homes. And the, and the good thing about green gas is it's very easy because it's effectively the same as the gas in the grid already. So you don't have to change your home completely, not uh, invest in a lot of insulation. So it's, it's, it's easy and it's green. And the foodstock here is manure? Yeah, Lonneke, is there any other foodstock where you can make green gas of? Yeah, so currently the green gas that is produced and consumed at the moment is 50% of that is made from wet organic feedstock. So that is, for instance, cow manure or manure from chickens and pigs. And the other 50% is made of other organic materials, for instance, uh, waste from the food industry or your own organic household waste. We call it GFD waste in Dutch. Uh, or something that we call uh, sewage sludge emissions. And do you need digesters for other foodstock as well, like we see on this farm? Um, so there are, there are about 60 digesters currently active in the Netherlands, uh, with plans to build tens more. Um, so so it's, it's digesters like we have on this farm here, so really small. But there's also a lot of plans for big uh, industrial size uh, digesters. So we're watching pure chemistry here. It's yeah, it is chemistry. It's 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 uh, bacteria. It's organic matter. It's uh, it's CH4, which is biomethane. Uh, it's, it's just doing its thing there outside the barn. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It works for us. How sustainable is green gas compared to fossil gas? Well, we just talked a little bit about the waste streams um, currently. Most green gas is made from waste streams, so a material that would otherwise not be used for anything else. And that way, as I said, green gas helps to create a circular economy. Um, and the question, how sustainable is green gas, sounds more straightforward than it is. Uh, it really depends on what emissions you take into account when you look at the entire value chain. So 
the feedstock for green gas needs to come from somewhere, needs to be harvested, transported, and green gas is produced, and that is brought to the end consumer. And it really depends on what emissions you take into account in that value chain to calculate how sustainable it actually is. Um, if you just look at the combustion of a certain volume of green gas and not at anything else that happens in the value chain, we consider green gas to be carbon neutral, so not emitting anything. So then it really depends on the feedstock and how far it needs to be transported. Very high level, we could say that overall most uh, feedstocks that are used to produce green gas are on average at least 50% more sustainable than the use of fossil gas. And can you give a concrete example? Yes, if we look at where we are today uh, at this farm, um, manure is collected and green gas is made out of that. If you wouldn't do that, then most likely the manure would be used for landfill. Um, in that case, the methane that's in the manure would evaporate uh, into the atmosphere and methane is a really strong greenhouse gas. When we talk about greenhouse gases, we often talk about CO2 equivalents um, and methane is, is really strong. It's a much stronger greenhouse gas than CO2. So if you don't do, do anything, the manure is used for landfill, then the methane just goes up into the atmosphere, but instead we capture it and we make green gas out of it that is then used to replace fossil gas in, well, as we discussed in this podcast, for instance, for heating our homes. So it's sustainable. It's easy to get it in the end. Why don't we use it much more than we do? Good question. Um, the main problem is that there is by far not enough green gas yet to heat all our homes. Um, the ambition is to grow to 2 billion cubic meters of green gas in 2030. That's in the climate agreement. And currently, or last year, the production of green gas in the Netherlands was only 230 million cubic meters. Which so, is not enough. Which is not enough. How, uh, how come? How come? Well, basically, you, you need a lot more um, uh, production capacity. So uh, you need a lot more of the digesters that we're uh, here uh, visiting, uh, or you need a lot more of the industrial size uh, installations. Um, and how, it, how can we manage to get more of those? Because, I mean, it looks big when you stand next to it, but in the end, it's quite small. It is quite small. I mean, farm-scale digesters uh, are relatively easy uh, because farms generally have enough uh, uh, space to, to install a digester and the permitting procedures are easier than for large-scale ingesters, uh, uh, digesters. Uh, but you really need large-scale installations to uh, achieve the 2 billion cubic meters. I mean, if, if you look at 300,000 cubic meters compared to 2 billion cubic meters that we need in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you can calculate how many of those installations uh, you, uh, you need. But what do we need to speed it up? I would say, in general, there are two bottlenecks that are uh, the biggest issues in scaling up. Um, one of them is uh, the permitting procedure. Martijn already introduced it shortly. Currently, it takes quite some time to get a permit for a new installation. How long? Well, it depends for a large-scale digester. On average, it's around five years, right? And for a smaller scale like this one, maybe two to three years. And that's because you need to get an environmental permit and you need to comply to the nitrogen regulation. And also, there might be concerns uh, related to the smell and transport movements in the area where the digester is realized. Mm -hmm. So that might lead to local resistance. And that's why it takes, well, five years for a larger scale digester and two to three years for a smaller scale. Okay, but 
2030 i mean that that's that's almost tomorrow exactly so that's why i would say this is one of the main bottlenecks because it takes quite long but is, is this a cry out to 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 governments or to to rulers well yeah <laughs> this is the moment <laughs> <laughs> well there are certain ways maybe to speed up the permitting procedure you see that happening on a european scale currently for instance for for wind farms which is a completely different topic but the uh, eu is looking into ways to make the uh, permitting procedures for wind farms easier to get it realized quicker okay so you have good hopes of course you said there was a second bottleneck yes whatever. yeah which is I would say the second bottleneck is the stable supply of good quality feedstock. So in Europe, there is a lot of competition for good quality feedstock and for a digester to be to function properly and also to be profitable. You need a stable, steady supply of good quality feedstock against a, a stable price. And because there's quite some competition within Europe for good quality feedstock, the price is um, volatile. Um, so that that is a concern as well and is there anything we can do about that well this this is an argument for smaller scale digesters like the one here where you have to feed stock locally in the production of green gas locally yeah and i would say it's important for the uh, the dutch government to create a level playing field with other countries All because right. because the country with with the most attractive subsidy schemes will get the most feedstock. So, so currently there's actually quite a lot of manure traveling across the border to Germany because the subsidy schemes in Germany are a lot more attractive than in the Netherlands. Even though the current SDE++ uh, subsidy scheme has been increased recently, which is good news for, uh, for everyone investing in digesters, uh, but still you, you have, do not have a level playing field with other countries completely. And that's something that the government should enable. And sustainability-wise, it makes so much more sense, right, to not transport the feedstock, but to use it exactly. as locally as you can. So if we take a look in the future, Martijn, what do you see? Well, I believe green gas will play a big role in the future heating mix in the built environment. Uh, so it will uh, be a significant share of the, uh, the, the heating mix for homes and, and, and offices. Mm -hmm. uh, it will take a while before we actually reach the volumes that we need. It's going to be a huge effort. The industry is currently quite still immature, but there's a lot of money flowing into the, uh, into the business, okay. not only in the Netherlands, but uh, throughout Europe. Uh, I think sounds good. Sounds positive. Yeah, that is very positive and also also needed. Um, but it can be. It must be faster. It's yeah, obviously. Time, uh, time is the issue. Time is indeed the issue, and um, I think what it is good news that the attractiveness of the business case is uh, is, is is good now. So uh, there is a big incentive for uh, financial institutions, but also for uh, for uh, big companies like Vattenfall to invest in uh, in production capacity. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, I think we will reach the two billion cubic meters, uh, but it's going to be a huge effort. And uh, well, every farmer, like the family stockman that we are here today, that builds uh, a new installation will help. It's 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 small, but uh, all the small bits together will add up to a large volume. Yeah, there we go. And uh, from Vattenfall perspective, I, I can say we, we embrace these initiatives and uh, we need uh, green gas for, uh, for our uh, future, fossil-free future, and to help our customers. Lonneke, do you agree with this point of view? 
Yes, I 100% agree. And there's one thing that I would like to add. Also, we talked in this podcast a lot about using gas for heating purposes. But of course, currently we also use gas to create electricity. Um, and what we see is that in the future, of course, we want to move as much as we can to solar, wind, etc. Um, but what we also see is that a certain amount of gas, uh, be it hydrogen or green gas or both, will be needed in yeah. order to ensure a stable electricity supply because we produce more electricity in the summer but in the winter we need more than we produce so it better be green then exactly yes how many cubic green gas has been made while making this podcast what do you think <laughs> well um this farm produces around 40 cubic meters per hour so i, I would say about 20 cubic meters while we were doing this podcast there you go thank you very much welcome this was transition talk outdoors a podcast series by Accenture. My name is Harmen van der Veen and this podcast was recorded on the farm of the Stockman family in Kouden, Friesland. You can listen to all our episodes on any platform you like. We will be back soon with interesting topics on interesting locations. And in the meantime, stay safe and stay sustainable.